Today we're in Isaiah chapter 31. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. And I do pray, you know, you guys are really like tuned in to the Bible, that you have it open in front of you, that you're looking at these words. Um, because that's why we're here. You know, we're here as we study God's word. He builds us up. You know, we're going through trials. I know you guys are. I know you're getting hit. Uh, I don't know how you're doing with the Lord. Uh, I, I wonder if there's anyone here who's walking on water. Anyone doing that? <laughs> not yet, huh? We're not perfect yet, you know. But are you trying to to be perfect? Are you trying to be like Jesus? How many of you guys are trying? I mean, we we got that um, that in our heart, you know. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a better, you know, um, son and friend and pastor and whoever, whatever roles and responsibilities that you have. And we have access to the power of God. You know, we have access to the power of the God who made the universe. And he can help us in one sense, not literally. What, what good would it do to walk on water, like literally? Who cares about walking on water? But what, what I think that symbolizes is having a walk that is above um, the devil. You know, having a walk that walks all over the devil. Having a walk that walks all over the lies of the world that we're living in, you know, because I tell you what, the world that we live in, they want to suck you down and they want to drown you and, and we can walk on water. That That's why we gather together, we fellowship, the different studies that you guys go to and hopefully you're in the word and you're in prayer, not to check off some religious list, but to be more like Christ, you know, and, and that way we can go out and we can live the things that we're called to because we know the Lord's coming soon. I mean, he is at the door. Um, you have to be ready for the return of Christ. Not only that, any of us can die at any time. You know, we have to have that understanding. You know, this, I mean, thinking of my brother Jose and thinking of, uh, you know, Johnny and thinking of uh, my brother Joey and just these things are really hitting home. These are guys that were younger than me. And, you know, they're, they, they, the Lord called them home. And so you might be here, you're thinking, well, I got plenty of time to live. Nobody knows. No one has tomorrow guaranteed. That's why we always have to be ready. We have to be in right relationship with God. Are you there? You know, none of us are perfect, but are you there? Is that your heart? Is that your goal? This is why even this study today, as we get into Isaiah 31, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 31 is talking about a people of God who are trusting in the world. So think about it. You have access to God to help you through life, but rather than looking to God, they were looking to the world. And that can happen in so many different ways. Uh, you might go to a worldly counselor. And what good is the, your friends, and they're, they don't, they're not even Christians, or you listen to whatever, some talk show on television or whatever. You read some article in the, in the newspaper and it's not Christian counsel. And you're listening to the, the counsel of the world. No, I mean, that's one of the ways. And there are many ways. We look to the arm of the flesh. We look to money. We look to oh, doctors only. You know, I, I, that's not how we're to live our life. We're to live our life looking to God. And let me tell you something. He will help you through whatever it is that you're facing today, whatever you will face tomorrow, all you have to do is check in with him. And unfortunately, what happened with Israel is they were not looking to God. They were uh, just trusting in Egypt, and it would cost them dearly. Do you know that God has great plans for you? 
Do you guys know that? Do you guys understand that? I mean, your marriage, it can be so amazing. I mean, your, your children, I mean, what a difference that makes with our kids. Because I know that's where it starts, relationship with God and then our family. And then, you know, you're here and you're a single person and, you know, you're waiting on the Lord. And I understand there's challenges there. But, man, he's got someone for you, the perfect person in the perfect time. You don't have to sweat it. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. You keep seeking God, and he will in his time, I promise you. He never fails. You know, God is not late, but neither is he early, right? He's always on time. And so we have to trust him, you guys. Trust the Lord. Do things his way. And you watch. What a a great adventure. What a life it'll be. It really will. You know, look what he says here in verse 1 of Isaiah 31. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because uh, they are many. But who do not look, and in horsemen because they are strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor, nor seek the Lord? Yet, yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity now the egyptians are men and not god and their horses are flesh and not spirit when the lord stretches out his hand both he who helps will fall and he who is helped will fall they'll fall down they all will perish together and so the lord here in in verse one is warning them He's, uh, it's a word that speaks of great distress or sorrow. Who wants that? Who wants great distress? Who wants that type of sorrow? You know, God is warning them. I, be careful. You've got to change what's, what you've been doing because if you continue on the road that you're on, this is what's ahead of you, stress and sorrow. Whoa. He's, we, we see it frequently in the book of Isaiah, 23 times, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They, whatever, man, you got so many things that you can, you know, trust in. Oh, I'm a Jew or I'm a, you know, Calvary Chapelite or whatever. You know, I read my Bible. I pray. You know, I, I'm good, even though you're not really good. You know, you're really not sold out and surrendered and completely committed. And God's been warning and warning and warning and warning. Eventually the day comes. This is 700 B.C. 586 B.C. comes and the Babylonians and they, 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 they sack the city. That can happen to us if we don't listen to the warnings. You know, here we see that Israel was looking to Egypt for military assistance as the Assyrians threatened them. Now, when you read the Bible, it's important to know that Egypt is symbolic of the world. And so they were looking to the world for help. They were looking to man for help rather than looking to the God who made the world, uh, rather than looking to the God who made man. He says, in very, again, verse 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. They rely on horses and chariots. These are like tanks, right? And Because and, there's a lot of them. Horsemen, there's the cavalry, right? They're strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek Him. And so the thing is, is that, okay, let's just say that, I don't know, um, uh, South North Korea was invading our, our nation, you know? just trying to use that as an example. And they had all these military ships coming our way. And let's just say we're, we're facing the dilemma. I don't know. Let's say, say Mexico wants to help us or Canada wants to help us or something. Um, 
what we would what we should do, especially if you're a theocracy, if you're a Christian nation, if you're the president of the United States of America, is you gotta pray about it. You gotta pray about it. And and if the Lord might say, Yeah, I, we can use their help. Yes, it's okay to have allies. It's okay to have you know, Mrs. Say you got a gun at home. That's between you and the Lord. You guys have to ask the Lord about that. It, but but if you don't pray about it, if you haven't gotten the green light from God, then that's a different life. Somebody's living their own life. They're not asking God for help. Now the Lord had specifically told them in Deuteronomy 17, don't go to Egypt. Don't multiply horses. Don't trust in your military. Trust in me. But they went against God's word. So you have a gun at home. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust in your gun or do you trust in God? Now, I don't know, but the Lord knows what's going on in your heart. It's okay to have a gun, nothing wrong with it. But man, if that's what you trust in, you're in big trouble. You know, and we can use so many things. I've got this great job and making a lot of money and you're, you're trusting in that and Man, in a twinkle of a nine, one eleventh of a second, that can disappear because God sees that you are no longer trusting in Him. Even though every time you pray, every time you eat, you pray, thank you, God, for this food, you're not really acknowledging it from His hand. And so we have to be so careful that we don't trust in the world. Right there, it says they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. In other words, they don't even pray to God. Remember we talked about Joshua, he made a covenant with the Gibeonites all because he didn't seek counsel of the Lord. That's why you have to pray about everything. Should we do this? Should we do that? You know, all you have to pray about everything. They didn't even look to the Holy One. Not only that, it says right there they didn't seek the Lord. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you seeking after God? Are you pursuing him? You know, are you truly like men with this, this, this passion, you know, in which you want to get to know him and you want to know what he's like and you want to know his will for your life and you want to hear his voice? Is that, is that how we're seeking God? You know, before we're a Christian, no one seeks after God. No, not one. But after you become a Christian, that's our responsibility. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Matthew 6.33, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Now the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That word acknowledge in the Hebrew is the word yada, and it means to know. It means to know him intimately. And so when you know him intimately and you're seeking him and you're hearing his voice and he's laying things on your heart and he's guiding you personally the way that he does and promises to for anyone, then that is a manifestation of him. You're trusting him. He's going to guide you. Unfortunately, Israel wasn't doing that. They were violating Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen, where God told them not to multiply horses or not to go down uh, to Egypt. But unfortunately, we have a tendency to trust in those things that we can see. Don't trust in your tanks or your jets or your bombs or your military. You know, you got to trust in God. Now, does that mean that we can't have tanks or, um, you know, jets and bombs? Not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But like, for example, take David. When David went up against Goliath, 
Did David have a weapon? Yeah, he had a sling. He had a sling and he had five stones. And, you know, but, but let me ask you a question. Did David trust in the sling? No. David trusted in God. And only God can see that. Only God can see the condition of your heart. That whether or not you really trust God or, or man or the world. And we have to really check our hearts. You know, what we find is that there's a warning here. The, the NLT says, destruction is certain for those who look to Egypt. Now, Psalm 20 in verse 7 and 8, it says, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. So, you know, the, the cool thing is, is that there's, there's two sides to this coin. There's a side that says, hey, if you trust in God, you're going to get messed up. I mean, if you don't trust in God, you're going to get messed up. But if you do trust in God, think about this, you're going to stand. You're going to win. You'll prevail. And, and so, you know, we have to take this to heart. It's so important. You know, we read right here in, in verse 2, I like the way it says in the New Living Translation, that in his wisdom, the Lord will send a great disaster. He will not change his mind. He will rise against the wicked and against their helpers. So Israel goes down to Egypt. Hey, can you help us out? You know, give us some chariots, some horses and things like that. And God says, that's wrong. I'm going to defeat Israel and I'm going to defeat Egypt as well. You know, we would see that as a disaster or defeat. It wouldn't work out, right? The whole hope of Egypt, that whole plan would fail miserably because they're just men. Do you guys realize that we do not battle men? We don't fight men. You know, we fight. You might think it's your boss. It's not your boss. It's demons. That's why you have to pray uh, for your boss. And that's why you have to love your boss, even though they don't treat you right. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The weapons that we have to use, they have to be spiritual weapons. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 4. You know, you try to fight with your own wisdom. You try to fight with your own words, your own, you know, ingenuity. You know, you're, you're, you're resisting and, you know, things like that. You're manipulating. You try to fight like that. Do you think you're going to win? That would be like showing up to a, a, a war with, uh, I don't know, with Russia and you got spitwads. You're not going to win. No, we have to pray and we have to obey Look what it says in verse 4. For, for thus the Lord has spoken to me. As a lion roars and a young lion over his prey, uh, when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he will not be afraid of their voice nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. And like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem Defending, he will also deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. So you don't have to trust in Egypt. All you have to do is trust in the Lord. And if you trust in the Lord, he says right here, it's like a, it's like a lion. You know, when a lion, let's just say a lion goes in there and gets a sheep. And let's just say, you know, he's got it in his mouth and he's devouring the sheep, right? 
And then you got a handful of shepherds that go over there and they're like, you know, they surround the lion. Go away, go away. Do you th- what do you think the lion's going to do? He's just going to keep eating. <laughs> he's going to keep eating because he's a lion, right? And, and what Isaiah is saying right here, what he's sharing right here is the Lord is the lion. And there's no man that can defeat him. And he will devour Assyria. He will devour our enemies. We can trust him. He's like a bird, not just a lion, but like a bird that's like hovering over the top. And I was reading different uh, guys on this, and some of them are t- you know, thinking of this big bird that's swirling and protecting. Others were mentioning, have you guys ever seen those little birds that protect their nests, and when the crows come in, they protect their chicks, not just the girls, the, just the baby birds, right? And the little birds call, and they, and, they, and they chase after those crows. Have you guys ever seen that? It's kind of like that. That's our Lord. Our Lord cannot be defeated. Our Lord loves us like that, and he will devour our enemies, and he will protect us as his children. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Ultimately, and we've seen it in Isaiah, and it's true for the church, there is a preservation of the nation. And so if God protects Judah so graciously, and we're going to see it later as we go through Isaiah, doesn't it make sense that they would return to him? Of course. You know, maybe there's some of you here today that in all reality you've drifted away from God. You have drifted away from the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who died for you. And you've been living really for yourself or you've been living for someone else or something else. And, you know, I don't know. I, I've talked to people and, you know, I've talked to people who almost, you know, died from COVID or whatever, and God spared them. God protected them. God, you know, just gave them grace. Well, if you go through something like that, doesn't it make sense that you would return to God? That's what he says right here. After that whole thing, he says in verse 6, return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. They had been rebellious against God, not just superficial. We're talking deep stuff. He's saying, return to him. For in that day, every man shall throw away his idols of silver and idols of gold, sin, which your own hands have made for yourselves. Then Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man, And a sword not of mankind shall devour him. It would be the sword of God. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall become forced labor. He shall cross over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. And so when you become a Christian, first you get saved, and then there's going to be a tug, man, now, some people, they're able, they're able to stay on track, you know, and they never backslide. They never go to the right or left. But I think no matter who you are, there's always an aspect of where our heart can, can, can shift. You know, it's been said that you can take them, the, them out of Egypt, but it's hard to take Egypt out of them. See, that's why Jesus said in John 17, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Now, you've got to be careful with this world that we live in because there's a lot of temptations. And so we get, you know, James talks about being, you know, John talks about loving the world, or James talks about being friends with the world. Paul talks about being conformed to this world. 
I, I think there's a lot of gods that, that you may think, well, it's not an idol. You know, it's not a statue. I don't got no statues at my house. I don't do that anymore. But maybe you do because you worship, you know, the car that's parked out there is taking up two parking spots. I don't know. Maybe, you know, you worship. And I, and I have to be careful with this because, you know, I don't want to be legalistic. But, you know, you can worship anything. You can worship uh, yourself. You can worship sports. You can worship entertainment. You can worship that television. You can worship that phone. There's a million things that you can put before God, and it's an idol. It's an idol. And really, I think that when we get right with the Lord, it's as simple as that. God says, repent, return to me. And, and what he talks about right here is in that day, then you're going to get rid of all the things that you put before God. Sometimes it's a girlfriend. It's as simple as that. This guy right here, he says, you know, he doesn't belong with this girl. But he worships her more than he worships God. It's an idol. And God's saying, make a choice. It could be a boyfriend. Many times, unfortunately, girls do that. I mean, you name it. It could be a hobby. We all have to check our hearts because I think we all have interests and inclinations and things that we could very easily put before God. And, you know, you're watching television for three hours and you can't read your Bible for three minutes. There's something wrong with that. So we have to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, what, what are my idols right here? It says, in that day, every man shall throw away his idols of silver and idols of gold and, you know, the sin and things you made for yourselves. And then when that happens, then what ends up happening is God then defeats Assyria. And you're going to see that's what ends up happening with Judah. Judah, you know, Assyria comes up, they surround them. There's 185,000 soldiers. No one's been able to defeat Assyria up to this point. And then the people, they just begin to catch the vision. And then Hezekiah the king leads them and they pray. And he spreads the matter out before the Lord. And they get victory. I, I'm not like weird. Well, maybe I am a little bit, but I'm going to say this. There are, there are Syrians heading your way. If they're not there already, they're on their way. There, there are lies, there are demons, there are temptations, there's a girl, there's a boy, whatever it might be, there's someone, there are Assyrians heading your way. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, for, for, for Jerusalem, we're going to see they, they, they ended up getting their life right in time. But unfortunately, it didn't last. And 114 years later, they were taken away by the Babylonians. And what we find right here is God is, is speaking to us. And what we find is that the Lord just wants us to make sure that we don't have any idols. That if we've drifted away, one of the things that's kind of cool, I don't know if you ever had a boyfriend or girlfriend. You guys remember those days, boyfriend or girlfriend? And let's just say your boyfriend breaks up with you or your girlfriend breaks up with you. And let's just say they want to get back with you. How many of you would say, no way, man. You know, you, you lost it, you know. <laughs> a lot of us would probably, you know, we were like that. You know, you missed your chance. But God's not like that. You know, we, we leave and we go and we're unfaithful and we fall and we, we're foolish. And then the moment we return to him, the moment, there's no condemnation. There's this love. There's this welcome. There's this embrace. We can get right with God at any time. You can do that tonight. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. This is a hospital for sinners. 
This is a place of grace. We can return to the Lord. You know, Israel would return and Assyria would fall. We'll see that in Isaiah 37. Um, and we're going to see it's inevitable, though. You may think, well, that's a big thing. You know, the king of Israel, I mean, the king of Assyria falls. But did you guys know that every king, every human king will eventually fall? And did you guys know that one day the king of kings will rule? Who's that? Jesus. And Isaiah talks a lot about that. That's why I love this book. Look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 32. It says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. Now, guess who the princes are? You guys. Well, guys aren't princesses. They're princes, okay? We're, we're, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Next thing on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, Seven-year tribulation, we return with the Lord, and for a thousand years, he will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. It says in verse 2, it's going to be such a great, great time during the millennial kingdom, which is what this is in reference to, that a man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the storm or tempest, as rivers of waters in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. The eyes of those who see will not be dim, and the ears of those who hear will listen. Also, the heart of the rash will understand knowledge, and the tongues of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. And Isaiah does this, and it's so cool. You know, and I think this is part of the reason he does it, okay? No one here is perfect, right? And no one here will have a perfect life. We're all going to go through tremendous trials, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, you will not have a perfect life, and we don't live in a perfect world. But we have a perfect God, amen? And we have a place one day that will be our home that is perfect. And that's why when we have that anchor, knowing that this is not our home, I mean, I'll be honest, life is beautiful, and maybe in one sense, all things work together for good, even while you're on earth. But man, there's a lot of tears. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of injustice. There are things that go on that I don't understand how this young, beautiful 22-year-old girl would go into the room, take her dad's gun, and shoot herself. And the dad's there, and he hears the shot, and he runs into the room. Let me tell you something, man. This is not a perfect world. How do you get through that? How can you possibly get through that? The only way you can get through that is with God reminding you that this is not our home. That there is hope to be reconciled with your loved ones one day. You know, Jesus will reign during the millennial kingdom. And it's really cool what we see right here that it says that a man will be as a hiding place. And basically, what we find in the millennial kingdom is that uh, every person going into the millennial kingdom will be a believer. Uh, so remember, it's after the seven-year tribulation. The, the Lord comes and he separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep will go into the millennial kingdom. Now, they're human beings. They go into the millennial kingdom. They're saved. The goats will go to hell and then wait their judgment for the lake of fire. We who return with Jesus will be in our glorified bodies. We will rule and reign. But those people, those you know, 
that are down there, they're going to multiply for a thousand years and live long. It's going to be pretty crazy. But 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 the people that go in, and those of us that are there, this is what it describes in verse two that we will actually be like hiding places from the wind. We're going to be helping them. Here's where here's something that good to remember. Did you guys know that your priests and your kings? Did you guys know that? Have you ever seen Chronicles of Narnia? That's what that's about. C.S. Lewis got that from that. We're, we're priests and we're kings. So we're ruling. That kind of makes us kings in one sense. We're um, kings with a small K. And then we're priests in that we're ministering. We're helping. Hey, there's a storm over there. And this guy comes and he helps you during that difficult time. You know, I mean, the, 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 there's a, the thirsty you know, land is dry and then here's the water that they provide. Just what a difference people can make when they're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it says in verse 3 that the eyes of those who see will not be dim and ears of those who hear will listen and the heart, you know, and, and he talks about the tongues and all that. You know what that's in reference to? It's not just saying that, well, the blind person will now see no, what he's really saying is the is the the blind person spiritually. They're going to see the spiritual things, and the people that hear, they're not just going to hear words; they're going to understand spiritual things. The heart of of the people in those days during the millennial kingdom. You got these people; it's going to be such a, a beautiful time. They will see the Lord and they will hear um, not just music or math. They're going to listen to God, their Bible teacher. They're going to be able to share things. You know, nowadays, I don't know how you guys are. Some of you here, you're tracking. Some of you here, you listen. And, you know, if you're not tracking, if you're not listening, I still love you. Um, You know, we still love you. But it's a trip, what's going on in the church today. How many people really listen to the voice of God? How many people really come to a Bible study and they really want to listen? They really want to hear and understand. They want to see what this really means. They want to see God. Not a lot. Not a lot of people who come, even to church service, their hearts are right. And you guys know that. They come in, they just want to finish up so they can go eat. There's a lot of people like that. You know, and they, they come and they have no interest in ever using their mouth to share Jesus with other people. But that's not what it's going to be like during the millennial kingdom. And that's what he's saying right here. It's just a, it's a cool thing. I, I do encourage you, you don't have to wait until the millennial kingdom. Let's see the Lord now. Let's listen to the Lord now and understand what he's saying to us. And my pastor used to always ask me that question. What has the Lord been showing you? And you should have an answer. Well, this is what, you can't make it up. This is what God's been telling me. You know, what we find right here is the Lord is this, man, I think that he's sharing things with us about the millennial kingdom uh, to encourage us how beautiful it will be. And then um, if you look at this, it's interesting. In verse 2 of chapter 35, it says, the foolish person will no longer be called generous nor the miser said to be bountiful. Why is that? Because nowadays you got these fools, you know, these whatever, these athletes sometimes that are fools and kids are putting them up on a pedestal. 
you got these actors and actresses that are to- totally anti-God, and our young people are following them on Instagram. You're following them on Instagram. Why? What do they have to share with you that is really going to be helpful in, in eternity? N- nothing. But in, during the millennial kingdom, it's not going to be like that foolish person will no longer be called generous nor the miser uh, said to be bountiful. And then he goes on to explain it. And let me read verses 5 through 8 in the New Living Translation. He says, In that day, ungodly fools will not be heroes. Scoundrels will not be respected. For fools speak foolishness and make evil plans. They practice ungodliness and spread false teachings about the Lord. They deprive the hungry of food and give no water to the thirsty. The smooth tricks of scoundrels are evil. They plot crooked schemes. They lie to convict the poor. Even when the cause of the poor is just. It's not going to be like that during the millennial kingdom. He says there in verse 8, but a generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. So you guys know, right, Isaiah 520, do you guys know this, that we're living in a day where they call evil good and good evil? Do you guys know that? You know, oh, it's so good that you are letting your four-year-old decide what gender, you know, they are. You're such a good dad. And, you know, you just want to slap that guy, man. It's like, dude. (laughs) But during the millennial kingdom, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be the fool is esteemed. It's going to be so different. Evil will not be practiced. Isaiah 520, where they call good evil and good evil good, is not going to be the case. We have to be ready, you guys. We have to make sure that we are like on the edge. I remember when I used to play baseball, and uh, I wasn't like the greatest player, or when I wrestled in high school, I wasn't the best wrestler, but I, for whatever reason, I earned a coach's award. And the reason he gave me coach's award is not because I was a good wrestler. It's because I tried with all my heart. I gave it 110%. I had a friend uh, who, who used to play baseball with me. He's a better baseball player than I was for sure. But he didn't hustle. He didn't. He, when it was time to run, you know, some of those guys, they just want to kind of like, you know, sit and, I don't know, get out of it or get out of those types of things. And little do they know that those those drills and those runs and all that endurance is necessary, really, you know, to to to, to be able to excel in, in whatever sport it might be. But I remember I used to just do whatever my coach told me to do, and I would run and hustle. I think that sometimes even in the church it's like that. You have some people that are just, man, they are just in. I mean, they are hustling. They are in love with God. They are passionate about the Lord. And you got others that are very, very complacent. They're passive. They can take it or leave it. If they weren't here on a Sunday or a Thursday, it wouldn't make much matter to them because they have they can think of a hundred other places they'd rather be. Not interested really in the Bible or in prayer or in obedience or in serving God. You have to be careful that we don't become complacent. Complacency can also come through success, where you're like, hey, I'm doing good, I'm moral. And then you, you, know, you just put in cruise control. Look at these ladies right here in verse 9. It says, rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. 
We, we studied something similar back in Isaiah 3, 16 through 26, about how God called out the women. And, you know, you might wonder, well, why is God, you know, calling out the women now? Why is he picking on them? And, again, God's just reaching out to whoever it might be. Um, but I was, I was thinking about this, and, and, and I was kind of cool because when this one guy confirmed it, it, it says it, it really that the reason why God is calling out the women, partially because they were doing this that was wrong, but another thing is this, that you can tell the condition of a nation by the women. And you're like, what are you talking about, manning by the women? Well, let me explain. The men are always dogs, okay? The men are always bad. I'm talking about generally speaking. There's always a remnant. Don't get me wrong. But men, you know how men are, right? They've, uh, they're immoral. They're violent. They're sexually aggressive. There's a lot of things about men, right? But, but when the women start getting to that point, then you know something's really wrong. And when the women start, you know, there's no shame. They put guys to shame now. You know, they start busting the move. Uh, you've come a long way, baby. And then, you know, you see these women, the feminism. That's, that'll tell you the condition of a nation. When these girls start doing these things and they're strutting their stuff and they're showing their body and all that. What, this is really the condition uh, of the nation. And God's just calling them out. He says, you've got to get right with God. We all do. Look what it says in verse 10. And in a year and some days... You will be troubled, you complacent women, for the vintage will fail. The gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent ones. Strip yourselves, make yourselves bare, and gird sackcloth on your waists. You know, Amos had told the same thing to the women of Samaria back in Amos 4 and verse 1. It says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring wine, let us drink. You know, when you look at the... I mean, you guys remember, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm being sexist. You guys can remember, send me an email later, I don't know. But, you know, like the guys, like I said, guys, you know, they would cuss like a sailor, cuss like a sailor, right? But when you see girls doing it, right? And what he's saying right here, this is a condition of the nation. These ladies were complacent in their relationship with God. And, of course, we know this is not just something that is relevant to women. Of course, it is for all of us here. Beware of complacency. Complacency can easily set in after a season of success. It's better sometimes when you're hungry. It's better sometimes when you're poor. I remember talking to uh, Pastor Dale over at Golden Springs, and he said, you know, we've had times where we've, you know, excelled, and we've had times where we've had to pray for the, the money to come in. And he said, I prefer the times we had to pray. You know, whatever it takes to get us on our knees. I'm not saying it's always like that. Who knows? Maybe now it's different for him or different people. But all I know is that, you know, success it, it sometimes can get to us. These women were rich. They were, all the, the, the fruit was great. And the Lord said, hey, just, I mean, Isaiah through Isaiah, a little over a year, you're going to believe that God wants us to reach out to them. And we have to share Jesus. I, I always think of it this way. First, we have to shine, and then we have to share. 
But, but you know, I'm not saying it's like, can they, I don't know. I do know that you got to be like Jesus. Sometimes it's been said they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. All I know is we're living in days where I think it's the beginning of the end and we have to be ready. Here's uh, Israel going through the, this whole history. The, man, they've had such a crazy, tough life. And, and and so many struggles. But in the millennial kingdom, they will be established. Look at verse 15. It says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And you should underline that and circle it because that's the key. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And though hail comes down on the forest and the city is brought low in humiliation, blessed are you who sow beside all waters who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. And, and you know, Israel, I mean, Jews, Jerusalem, they have gone through uh, so much. Verse 19, it almost has a little hint of the tribulation period. You know, during the tribulation period, they're going to have these hailstones, 70 pounds, boom, that are coming down. But what happens after the tribulation period? The millennial kingdom, right? Where God comes in and God... Um, you know, he gives them the land. He rules from Jerusalem, just like the prophecies say. And we're going to be there one day, and I look forward to it. You know, the, the key to me is verse 15, until the, the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Now, of course, that's in reference to the Spirit of God, you know, working in the Jews and coming on them. It's going to be so amazing to see. You guys, have you ever seen a Jew born anew? Man, it's, they're pretty cool, man. But what about us? You know, as we close the service today, you know, my prayer is that that we would we would ask the Holy Spirit, you know, to fill us with His power, to baptize us. You know, we need that power from on high. You know, to go out and 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 not literally, but spiritually, you know, walk on water. And God will use you to pull people out of the out of the flames of hell if you're interested in such activity. God will put people on your heart that you're supposed to text or you're supposed to call or you're supposed to visit or you're supposed to pray for. You start getting spirit-led. And the things that you've been doing over and over and over again, the sins and the failures over and over and over again, you just can't stop. Don't you think that you need to do something different? You know, they've been said, they said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, failing over and over again, expecting different results. One thing I've learned is that, you know, the Holy Spirit is available. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to us. And so, um, I don't know, I like to think of it like superheroes or Avengers or whatever. You guys look at them and you think it's just a movie and they got their whatever gifts and superpowers. Yeah, it is just a movie. But um, we we have that kind of supernatural power available to us as well. 
So you can go out there if you want to, and I just pray none of you would, but you can go out there and you can get drunk. And you can get high. And unfortunately, some people that even come to Calvary Chapel on money, they do that. It's crazy. Think of, but they do. How dumb. Or you can get, you know, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Which would you prefer? Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's by faith. When you got saved, it was by faith. When you got saved, it was, I need Jesus. That's how you got saved. If I die today, I'll go to hell. I need Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose again. Lord, come into my life. I give you my life. That's how you got saved. But that's how we get sanctified. Same thing. Here we are. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And so, Lord, here in this place, right here, I want you to know that I believe in the promise that you said that you would baptize. You said John baptizes with water, but you said that you would baptize me with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Are you missing that fire? And tonight he wants to baptize you with that fire.